0: Hi, and welcome to part two of the special broadcast recording of the Mythgard Institute Announcement Show. If you haven't heard part one yet, go back and check the podcast feed and listen to that one first. In this episode, I take some more questions from listeners and discuss some of the ideas behind the Institute with the Middle Earth Network guys.
1: Welcome back to the second part of our discussion on the brand new Mythgard Institute here on Middle Earth Network Radio. I'm Michael Kaiser, Station Director at Middle Earth Network Radio. And with me is Mark Osley, Director of Operations at Middle Earth Network. We have John Artolo, Director of Marketing and Special Projects at Middle Earth Network. Dave Kale, Programming Director of Middle Earth Network Radio. And the esteemed Dr. Corey Olson, President of Mythgard Institute. Corey, how did we... That, Give us a history on the uh, on the name Mythgard Institute. Well, the name is uh is is I I'm,
0: I think it's really fun and it's it's one of those you know as soon as as soon as we thought of it and if I remember correctly Mark you were the one who who actually came up with the name so I got I got to give the, a in shout sh- out in to, the shower yep in the shower <laughs> right. actually so. it's the muses
1: <laughs> the muses he takes showers with <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly exactly and uh, and basically I I I love the name because yeah. it's uh, it's sort of a uh, what uh, what Tolkien and Lewis would have called a portmanteau word, uh, referring back to uh, Lewis Carroll's through the looking glass and uh humpty dumpty talking about portmanteau words which are words that are that are made up of two different words folded together and the two words folded together that make up the name mythgard is first mythopia uh which is the word that Tolkien invented to describe the process of writing and making myth um which is what he and C.S. Lewis both were very excited about as writers of fantasy um so you've got mythopia and midgard uh we, you know which is the old Norse and uh, and and early uh, word for Middle Earth, which just means the world that we live in. And this is, you know, one those, those two things are things that you can see Tolkien being really committed to in his, in his life and in his work to take the mythic, uh, you know, the world of the mythic imagination, uh, and to combine it with, and to bring it into the real world, um, and to sort of make it a part of our own imaginative experience and to transform, uh, Midgard, Middle Earth, uh, the Middenjerd in Anglo-Saxon, um, which again, he always said, Middle Earth, Midgard, is the world around us, and so we sort of take both of those things together in 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 one in one place. And as soon as uh, as soon as uh, as Mark said that, you know, Mythgard, I was like, yeah, that's it. That's like both of the elements that I wanted. Uh, and so I, I I thought this really does help you to to kind of catch that vision and share that vision. I think about um, the you know some of the ways that Tolkien talked about this in his. Uh, in his in his works especially in some of his later short stories when he was writing the lord of the rings or after he had written the lord of the rings and was thinking about how this worked and what it could do um like his story leaf by niggle about the painter who's painting this tree and the effect that he shows that of that painting having on people that these people get this glimpse of a single leaf maybe or maybe they see the painting and they get a glimpse of the mountains behind the tree um and that you know the the artist's vision, you know, the artist's mythopoeic vision, um, helps them to to perceive something, um, some kind of you know, not just an imaginative world, but something of actual reality that lies behind the world. And um, you know, and we see uh, we see a similar kind of vision in uh, Tolkien's short story Smith of Wooten Major, when you have the sort of the land of fairy opened to Smith, and kind of the glimpses that he's that he was given of it, even in sort of smaller and trivial stories uh, within his regular world. So, so yeah, I think it's it's an exciting thing and you know like we said back at the beginning of our previous session this is something that i think you know it is so natural and just so wonderful and i am so grateful for the opportunity to be working together with the middle earth network because i think you know this is something you know as soon as i was uh have have been in touch with you guys it is clear that your vision for the middle earth network and what i was you know wanting to do in my podcast and what we're working together to do through the institute um are, are really very close together and i find and I, I find those very exciting.
2: Yeah, we do too. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've probably mentioned this to everyone that we're working together, but I could not have asked for better people to take this journey with. And and just a shout out too to the our affiliates out there that that have you know kind of joined with us Um, independent, but have joined with us. But SQPN, Father Roderick out there, Casual Stroll to Mortar, and, and just so many. I mean, I think there's 56 sites collectively that have kind of come together here to, to work together on all these, all these projects.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's exciting times, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, certainly, certainly I'm very excited about the starting up of the Institute, but, you know, it's just kind of amazing to think, it's amazing to think that, the, you know, the Institute, as big as this is, as big as this initiative is, and the kind of impact that it could have, uh, you know, not only for individual people, but for Tolkien studies as a whole, um, and yet it's only one of the things that the Middle Earth Network is doing.
2: I mean, you know, you, you guys also have a whole bunch of other projects too. It's just amazing. Yeah. We'll have, we'll have to have another night on those, but this is, tonight's about Myth so. yeah.
3: Dr. Yeah. Olson, I think we should also give a shout out to, uh, and this, this goes along right with what Mark was saying about the vision of bringing artists together, uh, in the Middle Earth oh, Network. Yeah. Wenjin Wen Lu from China is a uh, a wonderful artist uh, that contacted us through the Middle Earth Network, and she's the one who actually uh, created the logo for the, Myth, the MythGuard Institute. That's and right. My, and, my, uh, so my Middle Earth, too, as well. My Middle Earth as well. So we're really grateful to her, and uh, she's all the way over there in China. And uh, so maybe you could talk a little bit about the – the logo for oh, the yeah. Guard Institute, because I think that speaks to the vision that you were just talking about.
0: Yeah, yeah, very much. No, this, this logo I had, uh, I had in mind for sort of as soon as I asked myself, you know, what, what graphic I would like to see. The uh, the 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 image that we have there is just came into my mind right away. The centerpiece is the tree, and the two things, the two kind of references that that is to is one is to what I just mentioned, the story Leaf by Niggle and his great painting of the tree. Uh, and in that in that story of Leaf by Niggle, the tree sort of represents, um, you know, is is an illustration of the work of the mythopoeic artists and, and, uh, you know, the, 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 the stories and, and works that artists in different, uh, in different genres, um, are able to kind of, you know, the vision that they're able to share with people. Um, but also the metaphor that Tolkien uses in on fairy stories, when he's talking about storytelling and story reading in general, um, and he talks about, uh, every story being a leaf on the tree of tales. Um, so you know the idea of having this large spreading tree, uh, tree of tales, uh, be sort of the symbol of the institute because that's what we're doing. You know, when when you're studying works and you know, to be thinking in the in these in these terms, we are we are you know unfolding leaves. We are we are we are giving the sort of loving care to these individual stories that uh, you know that Nigel gave to the individual leaves on, on the tree in his painting, um, which he himself comes confronted with uh, later on in the story. So that's that's what uh, the tree in the front signifies. You'll see in the back right behind the tree, um, in the distance, you can see mountains rising into the distance. That, again, is a reference to Leaf by Nigel, sort of that greater world um, which the artistic world represented by the tree opens up. ...to people, you know, sort of these wider vistas um, that are revealed through that and then at the top you will see the star uh in the sky above it which uh not only might remind one of the star of arendal um, but of course the the particular passage that i have in that i had in mind when i thought of it was that one of my favorite passages in all of the lord of the rings when uh in the beginning of the well in the beginning of book 6 of the return of the king when sam is with frodo in mordor and he's just set him free from uh from the tower of Ungol, and they are you <laughs> lying and he's keeping watch and Frodo is asleep and he looks up in the sky and the, the clouds tear apart and he sees this one star shining up in the dark sky above him and he is reminded uh, you know, he is st- struck by the, the reminder that there is high beauty that is beyond the touch of the shadow and that the shadow is only a small and passing thing um, so the sort of that one little glimpse of, wow. of high beauty that, uh, yeah. that sort of presides over the whole is uh, what that star points to. So, uh, anyway, that's that's those are the, the kind of the images in my mind. So, well, let's uh, uh, let
2: me uh, remind. Just, you. I, I was just going to say another shout out too. Speaking of art, uh, John, do you want to talk to uh, who has one of our good friends and 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 one of the people I respect most? I think one of the most respected artists in Tolkien art out there uh has uh provided a lot of the artwork for the uh, Mythgard and my Middle-earth uh, site as well
3: yeah, absolutely. Ted Naismith uh, has graciously provided us with uh, all of his uh, visionary Tolkien art, which is just absolutely for me, and I've probably said this on previous shows, really yeah. captures the spirit of Tolkien's works in uh, in painted art. And uh, it's just wonderful that we've been able to grace the Mythgard Institute website with all of this wonderful art. And uh, I would you know, highly recommend people check out, read through the whole site, but just take a look at the art and then follow back to Ted's site. And you could scan through all of his Silmarillion works and Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. And uh, he's just got volumes of art, uh, yeah. various scenes from from Tolkien's works. So to, we have to really uh, give a great thanks to Ted for, for allowing us to use the art yeah. for, the, for the entire project of the Mythgard Institute and the Middle-Earth Network.
2: Oh, yeah, I've I think, been so excited about that. I think that's that's what amazes me about this whole project with with what we're talking about with MythCard and the university, and and what we're talking about even with Middle-earth Network and my Middle-earth is just the caliber of people that have become involved in this. Everyone from on the scholarly side to the artistic side to the you know to the to the music side to it, it just I have to sit and pinch myself every day. Um, just at the, this is truly a coming together of kind of the best of the best out there. So,
1: and let's remind the listeners out there how they can get to the Mythgard Institute website in order to because it's just an absolutely gorgeous site. And if you po- point your browser to mythgard m y t h g a r d dot org. And uh, you can see that logo that Corey was talking about that he's so proud of and and the, uh, the the beautiful artwork on here and the information. My wife sat down and read through the website the other night, uh, every single word. And she says, you know, I qualify. I could go through this if I had the time to write, you know, 30 <laughs> – uh, yeah.
2: John did a tremendous job on that in a in a in a weekend powered with coffee and uh, I think lots of uh, lots and lots of coffee.
1: Yes, the rocket fuel of uh, website yeah. building. <laughs> <laughs> and I do believe that uh, Dave is uh, gathering up uh, or or trying to make uh, compile a, uh, a a cohesive list of all the questions that he's receiving. That's why he has not yeah. piped in here. I,
2: I'm gonna while he's doing that, I'm gonna just thank everybody for joining in the chat room there uh fang uh, uh laura arwin um let's see who else we have miranda uh others coming in and out there but just uh all of your questions laura yep all of your questions everything like that just uh just
4: keep them coming yeah um so i've got a i'm gonna start off with a softball for you Corey, for the second okay. part um this is pro I, I i imagine this is probably the most frequently asked question um that you get and it's certainly the one i've seen the most which is will you offer a course on x where x is some topic be it old english or quenya or c.s lewis or dare i say it harry potter or (laughs) no one has actually asked about twilight yet but i'm sure that's in the back of somebody's mind so so the more general But, but but okay
0: this is a great question and uh, I mean this basically is another, the state of our, of the curriculum of the MythCard Institute is a product of how new we are. We have a whole bunch of courses which we can offer. Right now I am in the process of trying to figure out what courses students really want to take um, because we are wanting to offer courses for people based primarily on uh, their availability—that is, on the students' availability and on their interests—you uh, know—we would like to make available to you. And there are so many times that I've heard from people on the podcast. Oh, I would really love to be able to take a class on on Anglo-Saxon. I would really love to be able to take a class on CS Lewis. Um, and basically, we want to hear from you. We have a page set up on the on the the Midgard site, um, which is called our future courses. And if you go to that page, you will find this whole survey form to fill out and you'll see a whole bunch of options. All of the courses that you see on there are courses basically that, that I'm ready to pull the trigger on as soon as I know that there are students who really want to take those and to figure out which ones we should offer first, um, so, so that we can really, uh, get to people the courses that they want most. A whole bunch of people have voted in the, um, you guys are gonna, are gonna, uh, to so sort of find this funny, I think. In the two days that the site has been up, we've already gotten 80 votes uh, on th- through that page for classes. So people are voting, and that's great. Keep, keep, keep the votes coming. Uh, I can give you a little preview right now. So far, the leading candidate – of all the courses out there, among the 80 people who have who have uh, signed up is an introduction to Anglo-Saxon language. Uh, that is by far the most popularly requested course so far, which means I'm working on that. I mean, I would like to see us get an Anglo-Saxon course this year, uh, either spring or summer, if we can do it, um, yep. because it is clear that people really want that. Um, people really want a Latin class. That one actually surprised me a little bit. Um, I had that available, and people are loving that idea. There are a couple of the fantasy classes. People want to learn Quenya. People want to uh, uh, to take the uh, subcreation and Mythopoeia class um, that I that that I put up there, and so. Um, yep. <laughs> what you want to do, put up there and we will, we will try to make that happen. My plan is to, you know, I have the one class that I'm already arranging to offer in the spring, my Lewis and Tolkien class, which is going to happen. And then in addition to that, there are going to be probably at least one, probably two other courses that we're going to offer. And then we're going to offer, I hope, also another three classes in the summertime. So, um, so let us know. Now, there are going to be, um, Some requirements that you're going to have to do for people who are wanting to complete the master's degree with us, it's not going to be a complete grab bag. We are going to want you to do uh, some distributions that we're going to, uh, but we're kind of holding off not knowing what we're going to be able to make available exactly when as we get started here. Um, You know, I haven't published that yet. We, we will publish that once our curriculum is a little bit more firmly established, which, as I say, will happen when people, uh, when people start, you know, start voting and enrolling for these, um, for these courses. So, first step, let us know what you want to do, sign up for classes, and, uh, and we'll make them happen.
4: So um, to do that, go to the MythGuard website, which is MythGuard.org. Um, right. You'll see tabs across the top. Click Courses and then click Future Courses, and there will be a Google form there, and that's how you vote. Um, and I strongly, strongly encourage all of you um, who want to take <laughs> – Anyone who wants to take anything other than Harry Potter in the spring, go vote. Because I know for a fact that several of our Harry Potter um, um, social media friends uh, are getting ready to do posts on Mythgard Institute and to tell their um, um, uh, communities to come over here and vote for Harry Potter. So I imagine that number is about to uh, inflate um, very, very high, I'm sure. Serious ballot stuffing
0: week. for Harry Potter. And hey, look, I yes. am per- – You know, it's funny. I know that uh- – uh, a bunch of people were paying attention to the fact that uh, that this past weekend I published an article that was critical of Harry Potter. To any Harry Potter fans who are listening right now, I want to say, come and convince me. Okay, come to the, to the Mythgard Institute. I am perfectly willing to host a Harry Potter class. Uh, you know, show me. Let's 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 actually have some uh, some serious academic inquiry into harry potter and you guys can prove to me that it's as good as you say it is uh so uh okay. so bring it harry potter people let's do this <laughs> come on dave let's go
4: the goblin is thrown okay um The uh, yes and, and i will be one of those people uh voting for it actually i already did i also voted <laughs> for classical greek um so let's see also very uh, popular i have to say yeah um one of the so one thing we were talking off the air is uh um suppose i take the class um i'm like i'm i'm you know i my i'm i have a i'm I have an overinflated notion of my abilities or my free time and I sign up for credit and, uh, four weeks in I think, oh my god, there's no way I can keep up, keep up with the writing. Uh, but I would like to continue listening along to the lectures. Um, can I switch to auditing or even drop the class?
0: The answer is yes. Um, basically, I want to, you know, there are some places, you know, it's, it's pretty common policy at many schools that you can, um, you know that basically there's like a period at the a window at the beginning of the semester where you can drop or withdraw, but then you're kind of locked in after a certain point um and I have no interest in doing that, especially since I know there are going to be a lot of people out there who are thinking about taking this class, basically on a gamble. You know, having been out of school for a long time or whatever, and being uncertain. And I want you to know this is not going to be a really high risk endeavor. If you get halfway through the semester and you're finding, look, I just can't hack this. Uh, I, you know, and I, you know, right now I can't. I can't. I, 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 as you said, Dave, I don't have as much time as I thought I did. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm going to be able to write the final paper. Um, then you don't have to. Then you don't have to. You can you can drop down to to an audit, um, and we will basically prorate the tuition. So we, we will refund you uh, you know the part of your tuition for the course that you haven't done yet, um, and it'll be fine. I mean, I don't want I, as you know as we said before, the goal of the Mythgard Institute is not to you know squeeze as much cash out of people as we can. Um, you know, we want you to be able to have that freedom and that opportunity. So if you if you need to withdraw, if you need to drop down, you can totally do that. Now going the other way is a little bit more awkward. Um, You know, if you get three quarters of the way through the class as an auditor and say, hey, I want to take it for credit, you can't really do that because you've already missed a whole bunch of the papers and stuff and, um, you know, missed out on the discussions all the way along. Um, So there is going to be a shorter window for that. If you start off as an auditor and in the first, you know, by the end of the first two weeks, you're thinking, hey, this is great. I can totally do this. I want to write the papers. You know, I think I want to take it for credit after all. We will let you upgrade um, within those first two weeks to a full enrollment. Um, you won't be able to upgrade after that, but you can always drop down.
4: Cool. Cool. That that is great to know. I think th- I mean in, that's yet another example of breaking the mold because that's the you know usually there's a hard deadline. You drop after this, you're screwed. You've lost. You forfeit your money. So um, I think that's I think that's wonderful. Um, another thing that people are um, uh, are curious about uh, is um, and I guess this relates to actually yeah. Let's do that. What kind of technology will be used? In other words, what is the sort of day to day experience? Not the content experience. Uh, But the day-to-day, how does it work experience like – and in particular, people are wondering um, how are we going to facilitate interaction, interaction with professors, interaction with teaching assistants, interaction with other students, that sort of thing. Right. Right.
0: No, and that's a good question. And I know that some people might, uh, might get a little intimidated when I say, oh, this is going to be online education. That's going to be more intensive and more high tech than ever before. And people, and there might be some people who are like, I'm not sure I can handle the high tech. Um, you know, and that might be, and that might be a cause of concern. Um, we're, we're going to make this as simple as possible. Um, the conferencing, uh, for, for our main lectures and things, we're going to be using some pretty simple and easy-to-use conferencing software. Um, it's very commonly used in the business world. I found in general that uh, corporate uh, like meeting software and webinar software tends to be much easier to use than academic software. So that's the direction we're going to go at first. Um, we're going to be using um, a website called GoToMeeting. Um uh, which offers this kind of, this kind of platform. For the student, you're not gonna need to download any software. You're not gonna need to install anything on your computer. All you're gonna need is an updated web browser. You're gonna get a link, you're gonna log into a site, and you're gonna be in the classroom. For the lectures, you're gonna have to do nothing else. Um, that is, uh, you just log on and, you know, Michael Drought will appear on your laptop screen and start talking to you. So I mean that's that's really all it's gonna take. Um, there will be an opportunity to do it to do some more interaction during the lectures. There will be a, a text input feed that you'll be able to type if you have a question that you'd like to ask the professor. Um, you know you can submit that question by text and that question will be your questions will be relayed uh to uh to your the main professor during the lecture. But um, other than that, text input there's nothing you need besides your web browser just to log in to do that. Um, If you are taking the class, so if you're auditing, that's all you need. You don't need any hardware. You don't need any software. You just need a web browser. Um, If you're taking the class for credit, you do need one other thing because those who are taking it for credit are also going to be taking part in the interactive audio discussion in the small groups once a week. So those people are going to need a microphone. So um, if you're going to if you're going to take the class for credit, you do need to get yourself a Microphone now, many people already have microphones built into their computer, so it shouldn 't be a problem for those who don 't have a microphone available we are, uh, we are assembling a group of links which we will have in our frequently asked questions page, which will be up soon, um, where we basically have some re- some recommendations for hardware that you can purchase. Um, uh, which will not be very expensive but which will enable you to do uh, all the stuff that you need to do. So you're going to ha- need to plug in a mic, and you're going to need a web browser, and that's the most you're going to need as far as tech equipment goes.
4: Cool. I think that's really exciting, and I, I, I think – I think that's an I think that's a good choice. Um, uh, that you know we're we're not going to at least early on we're not going to be a software company. We're not going to try to build our own new stuff. That we're going to use existing yeah. things that work, and we're going to focus on delivering content. Um, yep. And okay. I think that will make people feel better. I, I I'm very so speaking as someone who's been participating in the Silmarillion seminar. Um, I personally think that, uh, that, that the experience is actually excellent. Um, I, I think the software we're using for the Silmarillion seminar is less than ideal, but that's not necessarily the one we'll be using. We'll be using that's better great. ones. But it's amazing how, what a great experience it is. So I think people should be, um, excited about it, not, yeah, not trepidatious. Know,
0: exactly. And the, the thing that I would say about that, and this is of course is particularly on my mind this week, is I have been surprised when we started doing the Silmarillion seminar, which is very, um, you know, w- you know, which is very similar to the kind of small group discussions that we're going to be having during the Mythcard classes every week. Um, when we started that, I expected it to work out okay pedagogically. That is, I expected as a teacher to be able to lead discussions effectively and, and have people, you know, have an interesting time. What I wasn't sure about is whether we would be able to build the kind of classroom chemistry that you tend to be able to build interpersonally, uh, in a live classroom. I mean, and I'm sure, you know, m- all of you have had experiences in college where, you know, the group of people in a class really bonded and got to know each other and really just enjoyed each other's company, uh, during the course of a semester. And I wasn't sure that that would work out so well, you know, when we're all sitting in different parts of the country talking over microphones, um, and not even being able to see each other's faces because it was just an audio interaction. And I have been astounded. I mean, the relationships we have developed in the Silmarillion Mm -hmm. seminar, um, have been beyond my wildest expectations for that. And I say – I mentioned that this week that is particularly on my mind because last weekend, uh, just a couple days ago, I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico with several of the Silmarillion Seminar. A bunch of us got together, seven of us got together uh, in Albuquerque for the conference of the – mythopoeic society um we delivered a panel of papers and it was the first time any of us had ever met each other in person um and yet it was like it was like a meeting of old friends it was it was such a great time um so I, again i think that this kind of uh classroom experience is going to be a really really great one for people Um, but again from a technological standpoint it's going to be really simple Um, and certainly there's there's been a wide variety of uh, technological comfort uh, and competence even in our experience uh, with, with the Silmarillion seminar and yet everything's worked out just fine.
4: Yeah the the presentations at Mythcon were excellent. I mean they were just fantastic. I'm hoping that um we can record each of our presenters reading their paper and then share them yeah. on your podcast uh to show yeah, people yeah. what kind of high quality work came out of that. And that you know we weren't I mean that The classes are going to be more rigorous than those, than the seminar has been. So, I mean, I expect that the work is going to be really, really good. Um,
0: so, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of just to add on to that very briefly. One of the things that I plan to do, uh, through the Institute is to, uh, to start a new journal, uh, where we will be especially going through and publishing the best work from our MythCard classes during the year because I people, I've been so impressed. Um, with the level of, of of analysis and the level of work that people in the seminar have been doing, and I want to give people who take our MythGuard classes an opportunity, really to uh, you know to shine and to share what they're doing with a wider audience. Um, so I plan to basically go through and take the best of the papers that we get in any given semester um, and publish them in our in our own journal. So we'll get a chance to really uh, to, to really show. And then, you know, so that's. That's uh, you know one opportunity that will be there for the students who enroll for credit to the classes and write the papers, but sorry, go ahead, Dave, you wanted to ask another thing also
4: um yeah well i one of the questions that people ask, and we're actually having this discussion in the 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 chat room right now is what are the you know talk about the teaching assistants um, and I know right. this is and, and I realize of course and I've been careful as i've been expressing my opinion in the chat room to say that this is my opinion, not policy um. necessarily, but I see us... What we're going to be do- – w- I'm trying to encourage people not to think of our setup as the traditional professor-TA relationship where the professor teaches and the TAs are the overworked, overburdened, underpaid folks who are doing this because that's what, what's paying their tuition this quarter. But it's not their right. main purpose nor their main goal nor their main passion and their, and their institute doesn't value it. That We actually want our people to be teachers, like people that yes. are there because this is what they want to do. They want to teach this stuff, not they're doing this to pay their tuition while they go off. And do their esoteric research. So, no, talk absolutely. a little bit about yeah. our talk about our assistants and how we're going to get rid really yeah. of people.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's one of the things that's you know, as as president of the institute, as I've been planning this out and 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 working on this. You know, this is another entire dimension of the Institute that I have been really excited about. I mean, of course, one of the primary things that I'm thinking about all through is the opportunities that we can provide for students to take these classes. Um, but I'm also really excited about the opportunity, uh, about the chance to provide opportunities to teach these classes, not just to, uh, you know, to the world-renowned scholars um, like, Professor Shippy, Drought, and Flieger, who are going to be teaching with us in the fall, but for for teaching assistants, because there are a lot of people out there who are wonderful teachers, um, and who are people who are you know, who are eager students, who are either studying for their PhDs, um, you know, and, or 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 who who are already teaching uh, Tolkien in other places, um, and who are going to come and teach with us as 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 preceptors. Um, I, I I've chosen in general, you know, in in sort of the vocabulary of the Mythgard Institute, I'm going to be using the word preceptor instead of teaching assistant, primarily because exactly, Dave is you are saying, I because I want to separate this from the common idea of, you know, I am a graduate teaching assistant and I'm doing this because like this is part of the academic sweatshop system that I'm that I you know have to do in order to get my PhD. Um, this is not going to be like that, um, I have been so excited to you know i 've already uh, reached out to you know I have several of our preceptors lined up for the fall semester um, and um, you know of course and I, and I have some other people kind of in the on deck circle depending on how many students we have enrolled for the class we 'll see how many we end up uh, needing this semester but um, and i you know it was it was one of the things when we first started this up and began planning this that i was really excited about you know to to call these people up right away and say you know i've got these really great people some of them are former students of mine for whom i have an immense respect who have gone on to graduate study on their own some of uh, some of these people are you know are other people that i have gotten to know um in in other contexts and all of them um you know are just really top notch thinkers and teachers that i am just really excited to uh, uh to partner with so i think that This is um, this is a huge thing. I think that there are um, this is something, you know, Dave. As you say, graduate TAs so often. I mean, you know, you can get some really great TAs and people who are in training and who are going to become really great teachers. But you know, sometimes you get people who are putting in their time and they're not. They're getting paid, you know, nothing, and um, and it's not really a pleasant situation. My goal is, you know, as I said in our previous broadcast, um, one of the one of the sort of the, the the conceptual pillars what I want to accomplish with our form uh, of online education is to be able to compensate our people really well, and that might seem like a strange thing to say, you know, that my goal is to pay people lots of money, but I think that. Teachers are systematically underpaid in our society, and I think that's really dumb, and I think that the work that that teachers do and the work that our preceptors are going to be doing, the work that our professors are going to be doing is really valuable, and I want to reward them for that. And I want to set up a system where you've got people who love to teach and who uh, who get paid fairly and well for the work that they do. I see down the road I can see preceptorships at the Mythgard Institute being not just a thing that you serve your time in but something that people would want to do for a career you know that the kind of teaching opportunities that we're going to be able to have um for people it's I think it's going to be really fun um right now the TAs that we have are, st- are are people who who themselves have master's degrees many of them are in PhD programs um and uh, and and you know and I I wouldn't even be surprised to see us have some PhD is teaching at that level to start with. Um, so I think that that's, um, that that's something that's really exciting. One other thing that I'd say just to kind of add on to this um, if you are out there and you are thinking, gosh, I have a master's degree or a PhD. That sounds like a fun job. I would like to be a preceptor. Uh, contact us. Uh, send us an email and we will, uh, you know, cause we are, we are definitely interested in finding, uh, good people. We want the best teachers that we can get in the world. Um, because our, the pool of people we can draw from as teachers is just as unlimited as the pool of students. Anyone around the world can join us at MythGuard and we would be very, uh, we would be very interested to do this.
4: Yeah, I, 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 this is something, this is, this is something we talked about a lot over the weekend, and the more I think about it, the more I'm excited because, um, uh, because, you know, I really think that this is what's gonna make, one of the things that will make our education as good as, if not better than traditional stuff, because we'll have T- we're not going to have teaching assistants, as you said. We're going to have teachers. Um, right. and th- these are going to be people. And that's not to say grad student TAs are all bad. They're not. But, but, uni- but, you know, universities are stuck with who they have. Some of them are good and some of them aren't. We're not. We're going to recruit people for a specific job. People aren't going to be doing this in return for getting something else from us. Uh, we're going to be recruiting people to come in and to teach and to be good yeah. teachers, and if they're not good yes. teachers, they won't be around.
0: Yeah, so, exactly. I mean, um, and it, it, I mean, it does mean you know that we're gonna. I mean, just to sort of to to sort of to inform applicants about this. Uh, you know, we are going to have a fairly rigorous screening process for this reason, because we do want to make sure, you know, we're, we're going to, it'll be a multi-step process. Um, and, you know, we, because we do want to make sure that when we, you know, when we launch our classes, that we are doing it with, you know, people who are really successful and dedicated teachers. You know, that's our commitment to our students. Um, and, you know, and we're, we're excited to make that happen, but, you know, it's, we are, we we're definitely committed to seeing that.
4: Excellent. Um, so one interesting question that you have probably hear all the time at uh, Washington College is, what does someone do with a master's degree in English? <laughs> Anything. Um, um, which I, which I think I think that's a great, you know, I think that's something we maybe ought to, to address. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of people who aren't even asking that question because they're like, oh, I can't wait to take a Tolkien class and an Anglo-Saxon yes. class. But I think there's a lot of other people who are wondering, you know, um, okay, I'm getting a great value for a master's degree, of course, but is it still worth my money? Like, what? How is this going to benefit me? What am I going to get from this?
0: Right, and I mean, the answer basically is basically, you it's know, different. People can be benefited in different ways. Certainly, I mean. The group of people who are most obviously and easily, um, benefited will be teachers, um, who, you know, for whom having a master's degree is, is a great advantage. And I think that there are a number of people, a number of people in different careers, uh, for whom the having of a master's degree doesn't necessarily even need to be training in a particular field. But if you, if, if you have a master's degree, it can, it can be advantageous for you. Um, you know, there may be people who are who are thinking about, um, there, there are maybe people who are thinking about teaching or have, you know, I, I've, I've often gotten emails over the last two years that I've been doing my podcast from people who say, you know, I would really, I would love to teach. I've thought about going back to school because, you know, I, I, I love, I love Tolkien. I love this kind of thing. I would, you know, I would love to, uh, uh, to, to, to be able to get into teaching. Where can I do that? How can I do it? Can you Recommend any programs, uh, you know, that specialize in Tolkien studies. And the fact is there have not been many programs that specialize in Tolkien studies. There haven't been many opportunities for that. Um, and, of course, uh, one th- – so, of course, one thing that you can do with an MA from the Mythgard Institute is – Teach at the Mythgard Institute. Um, so <laughs> that actually, I think, would be uh, would be would be a lot of fun, and not just the Mythgard Institute, but also uh, at Signum University as well. The the yeah, the, this the, thing the, keeps the, growing. The sort of,
4: I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, the people that we have taught and trained are going to be our are going to be the best candidates for coming back and teaching the next generation. So, um, yeah, exactly. That's a, that's and I, a, but but this, you know, this, one thing you know, I want to. Go ahead. One thing I want to add too that you and I have discussed is, 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 you know, there's other things too. So, um, I want to call people's attention to something that occurred, uh, um, at my alma mater, Stanford University, just a few months ago, um, called the Bibliotech Conference. Um, and the URL for it is humanexperience.stanford.edu slash bibliotech, B-I-B-L-I-O-T-E-C-H. Um, and, uh, the subtitle of it was Bringing Humanities PhD Innovation to Silicon Valley. And there is a growing movement. Now, how serious it is, I wonder, you know, at the end of the day, will they actually hire these people? But there's a growing sort of uh, discussion at least amongst tech companies and uh, business companies and marketing firms and venture capital firms in silicon valley at least who are saying there is value in these degrees in the skills that these people have that they can bring something to the table that a computer programmer or an mba or a marketing person doesn't have um, the kind right. of critical analysis and the skills that they build in doing graduate level work um brings value to our company um, now they're talking specifically about PhDs, but I think it generalizes because what they're talking about with PhDs is that ability to to think creatively, to do critical analysis, um, that kind of stuff. And so I think there's there's possibly value. Does it have the same value as doing a master's in computer science? No. There's there's no sort of study. There's you know there's no statistics to say get a master's in English and you'll add twenty thousand dollars a year onto your salary. Maybe not. But I think that there's potential there, and so people shouldn't be so quick to assume that this is a useless degree that doesn't benefit their professional um, career
0: absolutely and there you get straight into as you said the kind of the kind of talk that i give at washington college all the time because people people often have misconceptions about that and i think frankly too many people think um, i mean obviously i can understand why people tend to think in very kind of simplistic and goal oriented ways about Education, you know, that usually when people say, what can I do with this degree, what they really mean is tell me the specific jobs that I will be trained and prepared for by this degree. And, of course, that's not what the liberal arts are about, what the liberal arts are about and what, you know, some of these Silicon Valley people are 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 realizing and emphasizing, you know. When you study this stuff when you when you become a sort of a, a, a better critical thinker um, and and you know a, a a broad an intellectually broadened person, you develop a set of intellectual skills which can be applied. In any situation, no, you're not going to be trained for a specific job, but you're going to be given a set of skills which you can apply to almost any job. And I think that, you know, I mean, will a master's degree in English open millions of doors to you around the world? No, not specifically in that way. Um, but again, I think, you know, this is another thing. I think that one of the reasons that People have been more and more and more thinking in that way when they go to college or when they go to grad school is because it costs so much money. I mean if you're mm-hmm. shelling out $200,000 for a college education, I can certainly understand why somebody says, I want to know exactly you know, in monetary terms what I'm going to get out of this and is it worth my investment. Um, But this is one of the things I hope that we can help to do by changing that paradigm a little bit. For our students, it's not going to be about the money. It's not going to be a huge investment of your money to – to do this. And that hopefully I think that people will be able to kind of change the way that they think about it. Not, I've got to make this payoff for me big, or it's not worth this investment. Rather, it's a small investment for what I hope will be a really big return, even if that return is purely intangible, that it's going to be worth it with the ways in which it will, even just enriching your, your, your regular life, even if it doesn't open specific career opportunities. And I think that, um, I think that that's the kind of thing. I mean, again, that's a tough sell when you're spending fifty thousand dollars a year at a regular college to say, "Oh, but your life will be enriched." Well, yes, but you'll be in debt. Here, uh, you know, here I think there's a different situation. And I'm I think cultured,
2: that that's, but I'm uh, broke. Or, <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Or your life will be, or your life will be less rich. You can say, <laughs> yeah. right, exactly." You can say, "I'm I mean, cultured." I think that's
4: that's a really exciting part of this. We're really going to change the conversation about the liberal arts back to what it should have been. You know, you're right increasingly people are looking at this um, as a as a you know from a from a balance sheet standpoint. I invest this amount of money and what return do i get um mm-hmm. and and you're right when it's such a huge investment you're forced to do that um yeah. and but but when it's a smaller investment um, uh it, 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 that doesn't have to be as big a consideration and and I certainly You know, as somebody who works in the tech field, I I am a person who is a walking example of this. I live on the boundaries. I have a master's degree in computer science. I work in a technical field. Um, but my background is liberal arts. I did a, a degree that was highly, that was you know highly interdisciplinary. And I spent a lot. I took um, five, you know five quarters of classical Greek, and I took religious studies classes. And I can tell you that those skills, maybe not in a very you know not in the same way that I can say that my programming class comes into play every day, but those come into to play. My ability yes. to communicate, my ability to create, come up with new ideas, my ability to write and talk. Um, and express ideas um, is much richer than somebody who is just trained to be an engineer. Um, exactly. I was educated, not trained.
3: Uh, another exactly. thing along along those lines is technology changes. Uh, yes, the right. knowledge that the knowledge and the insight that and the enrichment that you're going to gain through this Master of Arts program does not change.
4: That is exactly right. Um, Somebody – so so somebody involved in that bibliotech conference, a billionaire CEO of a company called Tibco who owns the Golden State Warriors, said exactly that. He said, I don't care if somebody is highly specifically trained in some specific um, piece of software or framework or library because – it's gonna, ten years from now that may be completely gone. It may be useless. I need people who are smart and who, who can adapt and who can learn new things and apply new things, and uh, and that is exactly what he was saying. And that's why he's saying that I I try to hire people who have liberal arts backgrounds who've studied the humanities because I know those people will do a better job. I know that those people ha- are, have been educated, not just you know taught a technical skill.
0: And uh, you know I would also add here that. Um, you know, this kind of, for exactly these kinds of reasons, this is one of the reasons that we are developing the certificate programs that we are as well, because, you know, there might be people who say, you know, I don't, I, even though $5,000 is pretty darn. Inexpensive for a master's degree, um, you know, to, 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 for, for an entire master's degree, m- still might say, you know, I'm not sure I want to spend that much money. I'm not sure I, I, that I want to write all these papers. I know I'm not going to use a particular degree, but I would still like to get some of that enrichment. I would still like to to, to have uh, as much as I can of this experience. And so, you know, for people who want to audit our classes instead of taking them for credit, um, you know, you do that for only $150 per class. Um, and you can go through a curricular program. Program that is like our master's program, auditing a, a series of courses, and we will, we, you know, we 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 are designing uh, these certificate programs. If you finish, if you audit our five course program, you will get our Introduction to Tolkien Studies certificate. If you do a full ten courses, like the master's degree, you will get our Advanced Tolkien Studies certificate. And again, this is designed so that people can go through and have that and get that personal enrichment for really a very small investment for what you get out of it. So, you know, so that opportunity is going to be there, too, whether people want to actually finish the master's degree or whether they, you know, th- this option is also open to folks.
1: Real quick, we have some people that are just tuning in. So a, uh, we want to let them all know that we are here discussing the brand new Mythgard Institute with Dr. Corey Olson. Uh, you can find out more about the Mythgard Institute and enroll at Mythgard. Dot org. That's M-Y-T-H-G-A-R-D dot org. Find out. Everything that you need to know. And uh, we are going to release both of these hours uh, of this discussion on Middle Earth Network Radio uh, so that you can tune in and listen to those as as they air. And we'll put them in pretty heavy rotation for the next couple of days or so. And, uh, of course, you're already tuned into Middle Earth Network Radio right now. But to give you the URL to that is mymeradio.us. Um, just wanted to throw that in there. Back to Dave! <laughs> Great,
0: thanks, yeah, Dave. Let's, let's get some more questions well, from people in the so chat room. So I
4: think we're actually doing pretty good. I think we're we're, we're exhausting um, the list of questions, and people are people now are resorting to just gushing about what a great idea this is and how exciting it is. And <laughs> that's and, what and, I've and been
0: doing for weeks. <laughs> we, <yes. laughs> like,
4: Have you so convinced we're your wife. people about counseling each other about whether to take it for credit or not? Um, by the way, yeah. people love the idea of being able to drop back and getting a prorated refund because that really. Minimizes the um, the financial risk at the min- at the very least because you know yeah. after a few after the first paper after the first few reading assignments you're gonna have a pretty good idea about whether you're gonna be able to keep up or not and and if yeah. you dropped out – if you were like okay I can't do it and you dropped out after a few weeks you're gonna get back almost all the difference between the. Um, the full tuition and the auditing fee. So that's pretty that's right. awesome. I, I didn't know you were doing that and not, that's made up my mind. I'm signing up for credit because I have no problem. <laughs> I, I'm willing to invest. I'm willing to invest a little bit of money to find out whether I can do it or not. So, uh, so I'm definitely signing up for credit. Well, um, I
2: so, was just going to uh, ask too, I did John, uh, I don't know cause I stepped out to grab something to drink here, but, uh, John had a question from Rosemary. Did that get answered about uh, classes being available on a
4: podcast? Yes, that uh... we still... Um... I'm, I'm, so we got a, there's I'm, a lot we have to work out on that, isn't there? Yeah, Sorry.
0: exactly. Yeah, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how that's going to work. Certainly, anyone who signs up either to audit or to enroll uh, in the MA program, um, both, um, all of the students who sign up for a class will be able to access the recordings of the lectures, the primary lectures and the closing sessions, so that both sessions every week. Um, certainly, during the entire semester, the extent to which those are also going to be available afterwards. Um, we'll, the, the, yeah, there's there's a lot of
2: details, several of issues, details several issues we, to we have to work out. out yeah.
0: Um, I mean, I, I, I would love to uh, to 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 have a program like that. That probably be a separate kind of program. But anyway, it's definitely something that's on my radar screen. I can't promise it right away, um, but it's right. definitely on my radar screen and we'll see what we can work out with that.
4: So um I imagine we're probably starting to run up against the end of this session. Uh, Michael said fifteen minutes about five minutes ago, so we've got about ten minutes. Um, and I don't know, I don't know how you guys feel about going on into a third hour, but um, <laughs> but we are sort of we've exhausted questions, I think. Um, so yeah. uh, there, at least, I don't have any new ones to ask. Well, Maybe some will come in. But you know what? I would like to hear a little bit about Corey. I'd like to hear a little more about the academia side. Um, um, you know what you're thinking in terms of supporting research i i know i don't know if you want to talk about it but i know you and i and um um uh dr jason Jewell, aka pungo at cstm have uh, uh, have something in the works now um that's would be a continuation of the Silmarillion seminar which i think is exciting but i'd love to hear what you what you if you have any thoughts that you could share briefly about the research side and and how you want to spin up research
0: well you know i think that there are there are a lot of opportunities. I mean, one really simple thing that I want to do is I want to support people. I mean, I can tell you, uh, you know, with my experience of being an English professor, there is almost no support uh, for research that we want to do. Um, you know, we we, we <laughs> the, in the, the defense Humanities department isn't often, uh,
4: posting yeah, calls exactly. for
0: calls for proposals for you guys. No, not so often. Not so often. And we uh, I mean, we in the humanities get frankly envious of our colleagues in the sciences, you know, as they're like, oh, I have to finish another grant proposal. And we say, hey, don't complain. At least you have grants you can apply for. Um, And, you know, and and we just generally don't. I want to change that at the MythGuard Institute. You know, one of the simple things that I want to do, I want to have research funding available. I want to, I want to have people to be able to apply for 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 research grants and research fellowships uh with the MythGuard Institute so that if there's somebody out there who has a great idea, who um you know, who who has either, you know, a book that they're trying to work on, you know, a project that they'd like to do, you know, it it, it If, uh, you know, if, if we think that that sounds like an exciting project, we would like to be able to fund them, um, and, and to help see that happen. I would like, as I mentioned earlier, I would like to, uh, to create a journal. From the Mythgard Institute, um, where we can where we can be publishing some things, um, I would like to support other journals. I know, again, one of the experiences that um, that uh, I have had, you know, sometimes people have said, especially when I first started my podcast, um, you know, people would say, "Wow, you're so generous!" To you know, you're just you're doing all this work and you're just giving it away for free. That's so amazing. On the one hand, I wanted to be like, "Well, yes, thank you. I am very generous, really." But honestly, what I was thinking was. What are you talking about? We never get paid for what we do. This is perfectly normal <laughs> for for an English professor. Um, sure. You know, so I would love to be able to, you know, to, 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 to go to other journals and be able to support them and say, hey, you know, I, I have an idea. Let's actually reward people for doing good research and actually pay them for, to publish articles and stuff. I, I think that, you know, there are ways in which we can enrich even just the research community that's out there. But mm-hmm. I also think that there are some really new and exciting things that we can do. Um, and that we can help, you know, like just, Regular people, common people, general readers like the Silmarillion Seminar, you know, that you don't have to be a professional academic in order to do research and to write papers that are going to be really interesting, that are going to be actual contributions. uh, That that much
4: is clear from MythCon for sure. Absolutely.
0: You go to MythCon
4: and you see there are everyday people there who are – Okay, none of them are on. None of them are going toe to toe with uh, Virlin Flieger, or, or certainly they're they're showing up with a much smaller gun than she has. But they're still <laughs> yes. doing very worthwhile stuff, and they sure and they really know their their things, and they make contributions. Nobody
0: goes toe to toe with Virlin Flieger for long. <laughs> yes, right. Yes, <laughs> she is. Uh, she is good. <laughs> Um, but yeah. no, I agree this, this but yet th- there are contributions you know that there are to be made, as you say and and this was at Mythcon was a great experience for that. My podcast has been a great experience for that. I mean the stuff that I get, the emails i 've gotten from people, the comments that I get from people on my facebook page i, I mean i 've seen how many really smart people are out there, and the Silmarillion seminar, the thing that I think is most for me has been most special about that, has been most uh, most fascinating to me most encouraging to me has been, and don't take this the wrong way, Dave, you guys in the Silmarillion Seminar aren't particularly special. Th- that is, it's not like I selected, you know, the top, the cream of, you know, I went out <laughs> and picked the cream of the crop to be in this.
4: That's right. Uh, you selected I mean, was, the 15 people who responded most quickly to a Facebook post. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. It was, completely, it was an almost completely random sample. I guess not totally random in the sense that it does, it did, I guess, uh, favor people who check Facebook obsessively over Thanksgiving weekend. But still, it was, you know, th- th- these, this was just a random cross section. And, uh, and, you know, there have been times I've had to just remind myself of that. You know, there have been times during our seminar when I've been thinking, wow, this is, what a great group of people! Um, you know, we've gotten together for this, and then I have to r- remind myself. You know, this isn't really different necessarily from any group of 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 my listeners that, that I would have. And you know, I really think that, um, you know, not only, you know, and that's been kind of the second stage of the development of my uh, of my podcast um, of, of my podcast sort of philosophy. First was. I can do scholarly work and present it to a general audience who's going to be interested in it. You know, you don't have to, like, dumb things down for a general audience. You know, basically I've gone well beyond that to say, well, yeah, not only is that true, but, you know, the general audience in question is also capable of producing some really interesting stuff. Um, and, yeah, so I would love to see – I would love to see – uh Mythgard be able to provide opportunities for more of that as well, and I, you know, the, the journal that we're going to do is one thing. Uh, you know, I would like to support uh, some various other endeavors like the continuation of the Silmarillion seminar that we're talking about, and people will be able to learn more information about that soon. Um, I, I think it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun.
1: Amen. I, yeah. I agree with you 100. percent Let's go ahead and wrap this up, Corey. Give us uh, uh, you have 60 seconds to give us your final thoughts and uh, uh, about the Mythgard Institute.
0: Well, final thoughts. I mean, I think basically – uh, well, first of all, remember, we are, uh, you know, the, the MythGuard Institute is exactly two days old right now. Um, I think we're up at about 54 hours right now. Um, we're just getting started up. This is a big experiment for us. We are really excited about it. We are really confident in what we're doing. Um, but remember, you are, you know, when you're signing up for our courses, when you're getting involved, you are taking part in a brand new endeavor. And you have a chance to kind of get in on the ground floor of something really exciting. You can help to shape this. So I would encourage you to jump in, sign up for a class, sign up to audit a class, uh, vote on the website uh, on our future courses page as to what classes you would like to see next. Um, You know, if you if you are if you are a teacher, um, you know, if you if you have a master's degree. If you have a PhD and you would like to get involved in teaching, apply. Um, you know we are we are just starting up, and we are looking forward to getting uh, connected with lots of students and teachers out there. So um, that's that would be sort of my 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 last message well, there. Well said. J-
3: John. Join the fellowship. Join the fellowship. Join That's the right. fellowship.
1: John, I was going to give you 30 seconds and you just, you, you said more than 30 seconds worth in, uh, in two. That was great. <laughs> any final thoughts, John?
3: Yeah. Let's, uh, let's just direct everybody to the website again. It's mythguard.org. And also there's a Facebook and Twitter page as well. And, uh, you can get those links right off the, the main page at mythguard.org.
1: Great. Dave, any final thoughts? I
4: would just highly encourage people to um, go sign up, um, keep asking good questions. One thing that I want to emphasize is we're going to be very, very responsive to feedback. Um, This is going to be a collaborative process between the people doing MythGuard and the folks who are the students, and we want to tailor this to your needs and serve your needs. So we expect to be very responsive to feedback, so we'd love to hear your thoughts
1: now and while you're taking the classes. Good deal. Mm-hmm. Mark, let's give you a few seconds here to beam with pride.
2: I, I, I've been doing that all night, uh, but um, I would say that this, this is truly groundbreaking and historical, I think, uh, just for online education. And I'm serious about this. I don't think this is grandiose at all to say this, but uh, I think what we're undertaking here is groundbreaking. And I think that specifically for Tolkien studies, this is history making. Um, and I, and I would urge everyone and here's a plug for the rest of the network, but I would urge everyone to stay tuned over the specifically over the course of the next two weeks, because we're coming out with some other, uh, very major announcements, so I think everybody will be excited about what's up and coming too. So,
1: and we are going to have to do this uh, much more often. This uh, these these live reports coming from the founders at uh, the Middle Earth Network. We invo- invite you to join us over at MiddleEarthNetwork.com dot com and on our social site at MyMiddle earthcom dot com, and of course you have been tuned into Middle Earth Network Radio at radio dot us and. I'm Michael Kaiser, Station Director at Middle Earth Network Radio, and for Mark Osley, Director of Operations, John D. Bartolo, Director of Marketing and Special Projects, Dave Kale, Programming Director at Middle Earth Network Radio, and the very wonderful Dr. Corey Olson, President of Mythgard Institute, the Mythgard Institute at Mythgard.org. That's M-Y-T-H-G-A-R-D.org.
0: All right, if you have any questions about Mythgard, please check out our website at www.mythgard.org, and feel free to send us an email at info at We even have a phone number, so if you would like to reach a live person to talk about things, feel free to call 302-535-6073. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed.